Hola muchachos, ¿qué tal? Hoy es el último capítulo de... Del Ratos y Hombres. Soledad. Hello. Mice and Men, remember that? Let's do it. Gang's all here. Kenny is settled in and ready to roll. He just likes the mice element. Mostly. I'm in it, as you all know, for the beans. And what do we like on our beans? This mass immediately suggests an egg and tomato sauce. I think she's talking about bacon butties. That's disappointing. Okay, chaps. So, let's get back to business. Final part of my Men today. Final part. Oh, can you believe it? Um, so, got a bit dramatic yesterday. Lenny kind of killed Curly's wife. Schoolboy Eric. And he has run away. So, they find Curly's wife and now the lynch mob has gone to uh, to catch him, to find him. George is with them. So, let's not waste any more time, shall we? Let's do this. And I can find the right page. There we are. The deep green pool of the Salinas River was still in the late afternoon. Already, the sun had left the valley, climbing up the slopes of the Gablan Mountains, and the hilltops were rosy in the hay. Uh, the hill. Can't break off just for a second. All right, can't you? Yeah. You can't hear me. I'm slightly worried here because I've got my little preview thing up down here, and there's absolutely no sound coming from it. Oh, now it's that's oh, it's way out of date. Hey, there I am. Yes, you can hear me. Right, sorry about that. Okay, I'll start again. The deep green pool of the Salinas River was still in the late afternoon. Already, the sun had left the valley to go climbing up the slopes of the Gabalon Mountains, and the hilltops were rosy in the sun. But by the pool, among the mottled sycamores, a pleasant shade fallen. A water snake glided smoothly up the pool, twisting its periscope head from side to side, and it swam the length of the pool and came to the legs of a motionless heron that stood in the shallows. A silent head and beak lanced down and plucked it out by the head, and the beak swallowed the little snake while its tail waved frantically. A far rush of wind sounded, and a gust drove through the tops of the trees like a wave. The sycamore leaves turned up their silver sides, the brown dry leaves on the ground scudded a few feet, and row on row of tiny wind waves flowed up the pool's surface. As quickly as it had come, the wind died, and the clearing was quiet again. The heron stood in the shallows, motionless and waiting. Another little water snake swam up the pool, turning its periscope head from side to side. Suddenly, Lenny appeared out of the brush, and he came as silently as a creeping bear moves. The heron pounded the air with its wings, 
ducked itself clear of the water and flew off downriver. The little snake slid in among the reeds at the pool's side. And if I can break off for a moment, as Lenny arrives in the brush, bless him, he remembered, hide in the brush till you come. I want to just remind you of something. At the very start of this book, I said that the, the, that bit at the start, the, the, the descriptive bit, is genius. And I just want to illustrate this in two different ways. <clears throat> Firstly, the very start of the book. Remember, we've been talking for the last couple of sessions about how this book has lots of circular plots. You, you go back at the end to where you begin, yeah? At both ends the same, George. Why are both ends the same, says Lenny about the playing cards, yeah? Well, here's the ultimate. The first chapter starts with a long description of the brush under the Gabalon Mountains, at the stream. And the last chapter is set in exactly the same place and begins in exactly the same way. If you check back, there's an awful lot of similarities between those paragraphs. He deliberately is echoing. But... Remember we talked about foreshadowing, foreshadowing of Curly's wife's death by having the death of the puppy at the start of the previous chapter. Well, at the start of the book, when everything's nice and fine, we have this little description. A water snake slipped along the pool, its head held up like a periscope. That, that's, that's all it says about it. But he kind of rewrites it here. When he says a water snake glided smoothly at the pool, twisting its periscope head from side to side, the same image, yeah? And it came to the legs of a motionless heron that stood in the shallows. A silent head and beak glanced down and picked it out by the head. The beak swallowed the little snake while its tail waved frantically. So is Steinbecker telling us this is exactly the same location, but it's different now? There is death here now. There is definitely danger, isn't there? They're hunting Lenny down to kill him. Is Steinbeck trying to tell us there is death here now? Or is he not? Because then, half a page later, there's another little water snake swam up the pool, turning its periscope head from side to side. That same scene, that same image of the periscope head. But this time, Lenny comes out and scares off the heron. So that snake survives. So Steinbeck, on a sort of subconscious level, is messing with your emotions, messing with your head, because one snake dies, and you think, oh, is this a foreshadowing, like the last chapter, Lenny's going to die. But the next snake survives. Somebody comes to save the snake. Lenny, inadvertently. Will George come to save Lenny? <laughs> um. Also, again, the animal descriptions again for Lenny, which seem to happen more in the brush. Have you noticed that? He comes out of the brush like a creeping bear. Okay, let's take a bit more. Then he came quietly to the pool's edge. He knelt down and drank, barely touching his lips to the water. When a little bird skittered over the dry leaves behind him, his head jerked up and he strained towards the sound with eyes and ears until he saw the bird and then he dropped his head and drank again. At the start, Lenny's like an animal, and it says he drinks like an animal, sticking his head into the water without a care in the world. George's head protects him. Now he is again in this sort of feral animal state, but now he's almost like a deer or something, an animal of prey. He's being hunted, and so he drinks carefully, unlike at the start of the book, and is listening all the time. 
When he'd finished, he sat down on the bank with the sides of the pool so that he could watch the trail's entrance. He embraced his knees and laid his chin on his knees. The light climbed on, out of the valley, and as it went, the tops of the mountains seemed to blaze with increasing brightness. Then he said softly, I, I didn't forget, you bet. Goddamn, hide in the brush and wait for George. He pulled his hat down low over his eyes. Judge gonna give me hell, he said. Judge gonna wish he was alone and, and not have new bothering him. He turned his head and looked at the bright mountain tops. I, I, I can go right off there and find a cave, he said. And he continued sadly, I never have no ketchup. But I won't care. If George don't want me, I, I'll go away. I'll go away. And this is a remarkable part now. Um, <laughs> okay, let's think what Lenny's doing here. He's disturbed and distressed, naturally. And so, where does he find comfort? He finds comfort in George talking to him, repeating those same things over and over, whether it's the dream, or even when it's George shouting at him. He still, you know, appreciates and enjoys that. And so in trying to comfort himself, he, he's sort of doing it to himself. But he needs someone else. And so here we go. He's distressed. He's disturbed. He begins to hallucinate. Um, if you watch the film, the um, John Malkovich film, uh, this is not in it. And I understand why. It's a gritty, realistic story. And it's perfectly realistic that somebody would hallucinate when they're under an intense strain. And it illustrates his point, doesn't it? Steinbeck's point about loneliness. You need someone with you. Lenny's used to having someone with him. And when he's now under the greatest of pressures, he, he replicates somebody with him. But also, you can understand how the film, being gritty, probably doesn't want a cartoon thing appearing, because you'll see in a moment just what appears to him. Then, from out of Lenny's head, there came a little fat old woman. She wore thick bull's eyeglasses and she wore a huge gingham apron with pockets and she was starched and clean. She stood in front of Lenny and put her hands on her hips and she frowned disapprovingly at him. And when she spoke, it was in Lenny's voice. I, I told you and told you, she said. I told you. Mind George, because he's such a nice fella and good to you. But you never take no care. You do bad things. And Lenny answered her. I, I, I tried, Aunt Clara, ma'am. I tried and tried. I couldn't help it. You never give a thought to George, she went on in Lenny's voice. She's, he's been doing nice things for you all the time. When he got a piece of pie, he always got half or, or more than half. And if there was any ketchup, why, he'd give it all to you. I know, said Lenny miserably. I, I tried, Aunt Clara, ma'am. I tried and tried. She interrupted him. All the time, he could have had such a good time if it wasn't well for you. He would have took his pay and raised hell in a whorehouse. And he could have sat in a pool room and played snooker. But he got to take care of you. Then he moaned with grief. I, I know, Aunt Clara, ma'am. I'll go right off in the hills and I'll find a cave and I'll, I'll live there so I won't be no more trouble to George. You just say that, she said sharply. You're always saying that. And you know, son of a bitchin' well, you ain't never gonna do it. You just sit, stick around and stew the bejesus out of George all the time. Then he said, I, I might just as well go away. George ain't gonna let me tend no rabbits now. See how it echoes exactly the conversation he has with George, isn't it? Yeah, the, 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 the. <laughs> I'll go off and live in the mountains when George tells him I could have such a swell time without you. And Clara was gone, and from out of Lenny's head there came a gigantic rabbit. It sat on its haunches in front of him, and it waggled its ears and crinkled its nose at him, and it spoke in Lenny's voice too. Tend rabbits, it said scornfully. 
you crazy bastards, you, you ain't fit to lick the boots of no rabbit. You'd forget them and let them go hungry. That's what you'd do. And then what would George think? I would not forget, Lenny said loudly. The hell you wouldn't, said the rabbit. You, you ain't worth a greased jackpin to ram you into hell. Christ knows George done everything he could to jack you out of the sewer, but it don't do no good. If you think George gonna let you tend rabbits, even crazy unusual, he ain't. He's gonna beat hell out of you with a stick. That's what he's gonna do. Now, Lenny retorted belligerently. He ain't neither. George won't do nothing like that. I knew George since I, I forget when. And he ain't never raised his hand to me with a stick. He he he's nice to me. He, he ain't gonna be mean. Well, he he's sick of you, said the rabbit. He, he's gonna beat hell out of you and, and then go away and, and leave you. He won't, Lenny cried frantically. He, he won't do nothing like that. I know George. Me and him travels together. Um, <coughs> I'm going to point something out here. Hold on a sec. Throat's going. Angry Lenny always does that. Um, <sighs> Steinbeck's very skillful in this book at making us watch the action, but also think about what's going on outside. So, when they shoot the dog, we watch that tense scene in the bunkhouse, but we're focused on outside until we hear the gunshot. And then he keeps doing that sort of thing, doesn't he? I suppose you, you could argue this with any scene with Curly's wife. She's always looking for Curly. Um, we never see them in the same scene together in this book, if we think about it. Um, so, there's always that sense when she's around of, where's Curly? A sort of sense of menace, which he continues to there's a sense of danger and threat throughout this book and death there's quite a decent body count isn't there um, then there's bits like uh, oh mine's gone blank well, example oh when Curly's wife is dead uh, well I mean when he kills her then you say be quiet don't let anyone to hear and then when he goes and, and Deliberately, Steinbeck leaves her there for a bit, and you can all the way through that chapter when Lenny and Scully's wife are together, and when Lenny leaves, you can hear the horseshoe game. So there's this awareness of what's going on elsewhere, and here it is again. Think about it. We've got this very internal scene here of Lenny inside his own head arguing with himself, but he's arguing out loud and very loudly. So to us, immersed in the scene, and to Lenny. It's Lenny arguing with somebody. But take a step back from that. To everyone else, this is a man on his own shouting very loudly by a river. <laughs> Sounds like my weekends. Uh, <laughs> not anymore, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and there are people looking for him because they want to kill him. Now, you know, I'm not Bear Grylls. I'm Mark Griffiths. But let's be honest here. Um, if I was looking for someone and I heard them shouting, I'd take that as a clue. So uh, Lenny is kind of advertising his whereabouts here, isn't he? You may remember another bit uh, at the start talking about the uh, hearing the men when they... Uh, you, from, from, from the river, you can hear the men on the road you can hear them talking. And so there you go. Lenny's going to be heard from people who are up on the road. Uh-oh. So. 
But the rabbit repeated softly over and over. He gonna leave you, you crazy bastard. He gonna leave you all alone. He gonna leave you, you crazy bastard. Lenny put his hands over his ears. He ain't, I tell you, he ain't, he cried. Oh, George, George, George. George came quietly out of the brush and the rabbit scuttled back into Lenny's brain. This actually is George. George has, in reality, found Lenny. George said, quietly. Remember, George is always the aware one. He knows there's people searching for him. What the hell are you yelling about? Lenny got up on his knees. You, you ain't going to leave me, are you, George? I, I, I know you ain't. George came stiffly near and sat down beside him. No. I, I knowed it, Lenny cried. I, you ain't that kind. George was silent. Lenny said, Yeah? I, I, I done another bad thing. Don't make no difference, George says, and he fell silent again. Only the topmost ridges were in the sun now. The shadow in the valley was blue and soft. From the distance came the sound of men shouting to one another. George turned his head and listened to the shouts. So that sense of tension now. The men are getting closer. Straight after the water snake bit started the book, the next sentence, far off toward the highway, a man shouted something and another man shouted back. And now here we are again. From the distance, the sound of men shouting to one another. This foreshadowing, this re repetition. But it's different now, isn't it? George still trying to take responsibility for Lenny, like he did at the start, but it's different now. Then he said, George, yeah, a a ain't you going to give me hell? Give you hell? Sure, like you always done before. Like, if I didn't have you, I'd take my 50 bucks. Jesus Christ, Lenny. You can't remember nothing that happens, but you remember every word I say. Well, a ain't you going to say it? George shook himself. He said woodenly, if I was alone, I could live. His voice was monotonous, had no emphasis. I could get a job and now I have no mess. He stopped him, but he said, this dream can't happen now. Go on, said Lenny. And I, 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 I went, when the end of the month come, when the end of the month come, I could take my 50 bucks and go to a cat house. He stopped again. Then he looked eagerly at him. Go on, George. A ain't you going to give me no more hell? No, said George. Well, I, I can go away, said Lenny. I'll get right off in the hills and find a cave if you don't want me. That's reassurance he's looking for, isn't it? To be the same as normal. No, said George. Well, sorry, George shook himself again. No, he said. I want you to stay here with me. Lenny said craftily, tell me like you've done before. Tell you what, about, about, about the other guys and about us, George said. Guys like us got no family. Make a little steak and then they blow it in. You got nobody in the world who gives a hoot in hell about them. But not us, Lenny cried happily. Tell about us now. George was quiet for a moment. But not us, he said. Because, because I got you and... And, and I got you. We got each other, that's what. That's what gives a hoot in hell about us. Lenny cried in triumph. The little evening breeze blew over the clearing and the leaves rustled and the wind waves flowed up the green pool and the shouts of men sounded again, this time much closer than before. George took off his hat. He said shakily, Take off your hat, Lenny. The air feels fine. Lenny removed his hat dutifully and laid it on the ground in front of him. 
The shadow in the valley was bluer, and the evening came fast. On the wind, the sudden sound of crashing in the brush came to them. Then he said, tell how it's going to be. George had been listening to the distant sounds. For a moment he was businesslike. Look across the river, Lenny, and I'll tell you so you can almost see it. Then he turned his head and looked off across the pool and up the darkening slopes of the Gabalans. We're we going to get a little place, George began. He reached in his side pocket and brought out Carlson's Luger. He snapped off to safety. and The hand and gun lay on the ground behind Lenny's back. He looked at the back of Lenny's head, at the place where the spine and skull were joined. A man's voice called from up the river and another man answered. Go on, said Lenny. George raised the gun and his hand shook and he dropped his hand to the ground again. Go on, said Lenny. How, how's it going to be? We're going to get a little place. We'll have a cow, said George, and we'll have maybe a pig and chickens. Down the flat we'll have a little piece of alfalfa. For the rabbits, Lenny shouted. For the rabbits, George repeated. And, 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 and I get to tend the rabbits. You get to tend the rabbits. Lenny giggled with happiness. And live on the fat land. Yeah. Lenny turned his head. No, Lenny. Look down there across the river like you can almost see the place. Lenny obeyed him. George looked down at the gun. There were crashing footsteps in the brush now. George turned and looked towards them. Go on, George. When are we going to do it? We're going to do it soon. Me and you. You. And me. Everybody's going to be nice to you. Ain't going to be no more trouble. Nobody's going to hurt nobody. No steal from Then he said, I, I, I thought you was mad with me, George. No, said George. No, Lenny. I ain't mad. I've never been mad, and I ain't now. That's the thing I want you to know. The voices came close now. George raised the gun and listened to the voices. Lenny Berg, let's do it now. Let's get that place now. Sure, right now. I got it. We got it. And George raised the gun and steadied it. He brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. He pulled the trigger. The crash of the shot rolled up the hills and rolled down again. Then he jarred and settled slowly forward to the sand and lay without quivering. George shivered and looked at the gun and then he threw it from him back up on the bank near the pile of old ashes. The brush seemed filled with cries with the sound of running feet. Slim's voice shouted, George, where you at, George? But George sat stiffly on the bank and looked at his right hand that had thrown the gun away. The group burst into the clearing and Curly was ahead. He saw Lenny lying on the sand. Got him by God. He looked down at Lenny and then he looked back at George. Right in the back of the head, he said softly. Slim came directly to George and sat down beside him, sat very close to him. Never you mind, said Slim. The guy got to sometimes. But Carlson was standing over George. How'd you do it? He asked. I just done it, George said tightly. Did he have a gun? Yeah, he had your gun. And you got away from him and you took him and you killed him? That's how. George's voice was almost... He looked steadily at his right hand that had held the gun. Slim twitched George's elbow. Come on, George. Me and you will go in and get a drink. George let himself be helped to his feet. Yeah, a drink. Slim said, 
You had her, George. I swear, you had her. Come on with me. He led George into the entrance of the trail and up a lot towards the highway. Curly and Carlson looked after them. And Carlson said, Now what the hell you suppose is eating them two guys? The end. Oh. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's talk about this ending now, because it's, uh, yeah, it's quite something. Mrs. Griffiths is, uh, is over here, and you, you didn't want to hear the ending, did you? <laughs> it's sad. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Aww. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Before we get into the actual nuts and bolts what happened there and before we get to the the last line which i love but pupils tend to be a bit let down by the last line until we talk about it and then when they think and they think about it for a bit yeah they, they, they appreciate it but can i just point out some foreshadowing here in this final section and differences First see George leading Lenny through the world. We last see George walking side by side with Slim. Things have changed now. He's, he has a friendship with Slim. It is a different relationship. Notice what happens when the other men appear out of the brush and compare it to what happened when Curly's wife dies. When Curly's wife dies, Slim immediately does the right thing, goes to the dead woman. And <laughs> Curly immediately does not do the right thing. He has actually no emotional attachment to his wife. And has, remember, work himself into a fury to show emotion and feel emotion. And it's anger, not trauma. It's anger. Well, here, <laughs> again, Slim understands people. He goes straight to George. He understands what has happened. He understands that's horrible for George. Again, remember, Slim is different from the other characters. And he gets everything. Curly and Carlson go straight to Lenny to admire George's handiwork. Isn't that unpleasant? Yeah? And again, Carlson. Carlson, who shows no emotion towards Candy when he walks back into the room after shooting Candy's dog, is again showing no understanding, no empathy, no sympathy for the man who has just killed his best friend and is standing over him going, how'd you do it? Did you have a gun? You got it away from him, you took it and you killed him. Like, like you know, like some kids saying, tell me about that goal you scored at break. Yeah? I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? Which leads us to that final line. Because Steinbeck's big point Remember, I keep saying it and saying it, but it's important. It comes up in the exams all the time. If you're on your own and you've got no friends, you get mean. You've seen this all through the book. You've seen Curly's wife be hateful to crooks, and then we understand afterwards, I'm not saying it justifies it, but, but you understand afterwards that she is so lonely. She has screwed her life up completely by going on the rebound straight to Curly. Curly's got no friends. He is obnoxious, though. It's hard to imagine him having any friends anyway. He's, he's as mean as they come. Carlson doesn't understand other people. Um, Crux is cruel to Lenny because he's become mean and cynical, although you know there's decency in Crux as well. But that's because he's intelligent. So here you have Carlson 
and slim at the very end genuinely because they've never had friendships because they're selfish and nasty genuinely not understanding why George is upset after just shooting his best friend in the back of the head because they don't understand friendship they are mean selfish people so that final line I think is brilliant Slim understands Slim takes George away and then Carlson stands there saying to Curly now what the hell do you suppose is eating them two guys what's wrong with those two why are those two upset they don't get it wow that's a very powerful summary of uh, Steinbeck's point on isolation making people self-interested and self-centered, isn't it? What do we think about George shooting Lenny? Did he have to do it? You have to think about that, because that's the key question. Oh, Precious, to just say, I see you saying thank you for taking the time. It's absolutely my pleasure. It really is. I've read this book so many times. I could probably, I probably didn't need the book. Um, thank you, Precious. I really appreciate that. And <laughs> I said at the very start of the stream, maybe before you joined, um, we, I, 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 I didn't have a copy of Heroes. And Damon gave me some sensible advice. And I thought, yeah. So I went and looked on uh, Amazon, it's only four quid the ebook. So I bought the ebook for Heroes. I, I might have a break of a day or two, <laughs> and then I'll go for that. And then if we're still off, um, I will, oh, Damon's made a good point there. You remember the question. If, we, if, if we're still off, I, am, I was racking my brains last night. How can I do an inspector calls? If you've got any clever ideas, I could make a full animation. I'm not going to do that. I'll be destroyed. <laughs> Take years. But have a think. Okay, back to the question. Why does he shoot um, the dog? Now, for, let's, we'll go back to Damon in a moment. A brilliant point by Damon. Kyle there saying George and Lenny could have tried to run. Um, yeah, they could. They could, couldn't they? They could have tried to escape and keep going. But there's something that stops George from doing that. And I'd better answer. I'd, I'd like to sort of wait and, and, and see what you think. But there's a, there's a reasonable lag here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, oh, Precious has answered it. Well done, Precious, yeah. Then he'd probably do something bad again, wouldn't he? And that's your, that's your problem. George, I think this is the point. Right. Then he's done bad things. There's an implication when he says, I did another bad thing. I know he thinks killing mice and dogs is equal to killing a person, but he may have done other weird stuff before weed. Yeah, I think this is the point now. George feels bad. I've, I've let this go too far. I had to take responsibility for him. Um... Yeah, and as Damon's saying, Lenny's always in trouble. And there comes a point where, okay, all right, you could say he's tired of running, but I think more importantly, Lenny has now killed. And, and George is thinking, you know, we've seen all the way through, Lenny's dangerous. He's harmless in terms of his intention. He's lovely, but he is actually dangerous. So, yeah. Um, could um, James and could Curly have told the other ranch to look out for him oh yeah yeah exactly he, he called for the sheriff that there's going to be a manhunt now it's bad enough what they did in weed um he's killed a woman now so there may be a more substantial manhunt to try and find him how are they going to hide how are they going to get jobs they have to get away out of the area so there's lots of problems with them sticking together and um, remember as well key point here slim is massively massively important in this book because he is the figure of, of all knowledge 
he knows everything. Everyone accepts his judgment. And Curly go Curly. George goes to Slim to say, How can we get out of this? So he is thinking about it. He says to Slim, Could we have um uh could is there a way around it? Could we let them bring him in but treat him kindly? And Slim says no, because he'll be strapped up. Um so he doesn't do that. Um he says, could we let him escape? And Slim rightly says, what George has been saying to him, he'd just die, wouldn't he? just go loose and, and die. Um, so, so all those things come into play. He asks Slim, remember when he came back into the barn, he had, had his coat all tied up? Because he's hiding the gun, isn't he? So he knows what he probably should do, but he still goes to Slim for that final, that final message, that final confirmation, because Slim got them out of trouble with the crushed hand, Maybe Slim can come up with something. And this is why Steinbeck has set him up in that very exaggerated way as godlike. Because he doesn't... He knows everything. He'll come up with an answer. And he can't come up with an answer. Which means there is no other way around it other than... If I just go back to the comments and kind of say, Thank you, Steve. Um, good man. <laughs> I hope you're feeling, you're feeling better soon. Uh... Guilty pleasure, quality pleasure. And thank you, Miss Tompkins, as well, for saying he didn't want Lenny to die. In, um, he, he, yeah, sorry, he wants Lenny to die in a happy place, not scared and running. Yeah, Lenny can run, be hunted down and killed, or he can go to heaven, look across the river as if you can see it. Yeah, remember, Crooks talked about heaven, didn't he? Yeah, it's like heaven. You know, ain't nobody see, everyone's talks about land but ain't nobody got it in their hands it's just like heaven everyone talks about it nobody ever gets there yeah and Jorn as well superb point um lenny's too difficult to handle george and he left him for a couple of hours absolutely spot on george pops to town for an evening and then he um, gets into bother <laughs> for going in crooks's room and he probably shouldn't have done that situation when crooks found him up could have ended badly george is outside playing horseshoes lenny wanders into the barn and kills a woman you know thank you miss massey as well thank you miss there was a great point by damon that i desperately want to look out for and here it is um brilliant damon spotting the foreshadowing again he did it because candy said he wished he'd shot his dog himself you remember that after the dog is shot and then they accidentally tell candy about the dream they're going out the room they just agreed that they can do the dream. And Candy says, pulls George back and says, George, I should have shot my dog myself. I should never have let no stranger shoot my dog. And I did say to you very early on, didn't I, that there's... After George and Lenny, probably the strongest friendship is... Candy and his dog. It's George and Slim as well, to be fair. But I would say, yeah, that's the closest bond. It's gone on for years. He loves that dog. And he he knows he should have taken responsibility. Because as Slim said, it was probably the right thing to do to shoot the dog because the poor thing was really suffering. But Carlson raised it for the wrong reasons because he's a selfish pig and the dog smelled in his room and he didn't like it. And Carlson did it for the wrong reasons and is an obnoxious pig. And George basically being told by Candy, 
I should have taken responsibility for the, the, the dog I love. And so now he is George thinking, I have to take responsibility for Lenny, which was ours. Was it? Yeah, like Miss Tompkins was saying about he wants to die in a happy place, not scared and running. Yeah, he wants to look after him. He wants to take responsibility for him. Yeah. Can I just raise one other little point? Oh, hang on, you want but the importance of the giant rabbit when Lenny ran away. And um, the hallucinations. You know, I mean, okay, I'll say this, but <laughs> yeah, with, a, with a note of caution. You, you rarely see the hallucinations coming up in the, in the exams, um, perhaps because they're slightly different from the rest of the book in some ways. I would not guarantee they won't come up, so I do, I do want to make that very, very clear. Okay, so the importance of it, really... Okay, there's lots of different ways we could look at this. I'll, I'll go back first to what I was saying about Lenny by the river. He's stressed, he wants the reassurance, and so um, he, he wants to get that comfort blanket again of George telling him all the nice things, even when it's telling him off that familiar conversation. He's missing George, he wants friendship. And so he first summons up Aunt Clara, because after George, she's the person that he probably thinks of the most. And then it's uh, the rabbit, because let's be honest, he obsesses about rabbits. So he's conjuring up these figures to speak to him. Um, and, and I'd say that's the, the sort of key part in a way, but okay, other significances with the giant rabbit. I mean, I suppose sometimes the of Lenny as an animal and the use of the animal kingdom in the book could come up, and that, that might be um, might be that. Oh, Jamie's saying, why did they have the hallucinations? People do hallucinate under massive stress. Whether Steinbach is all Steinbach. Uh, is also implying that Lenny, you know, has got learning difficulties and possibly he, you know, he's prone to confusion like that. Kyle's in stress. Yeah, stress, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I suppose the giant rabbit fits into the whole... There's... Oh, live video interrupt. Okay, seems to come back. Um, there's this... Right, that's it's sending me a message to stop, isn't it? Uh, there's certainly the uh, the theme running throughout of, of comparing lanes to animals, using animals as metaphors, like the, the the water snake, the puppies, the mice. Uh, it's it's a logical motif to follow down the road, isn't it? Yeah. Damon saying, um, "Oh, Damon." Pretty sure that's the only time you see the world through Lenny's point of view. So maybe he always hallucinates, and that's why he does bad things. I think, I don't know, that's a wonderful, wonderful point. Can I point something out as well? Damon there, using the skills that get you high grades in English literature, not only because that's an extremely high-level point. I've been thinking about stuff for the fifth years for they're going to do A-level stuff. That's the sort of high-level point to get you an A-star in GCSE, that looking at the point of view, and you're spot on. That's the only time you see it from his point of view. Um, and Jorn, could there be links to his disabilities? 
maybe, maybe. Um, we can't say not. Well, I was thinking of a demon, and so this is why I just answered like that. Did you see how he used the language of um, literature criticism there? That was superb. Um, he, he didn't say definitely. He said maybe. He said maybe he always hallucinates. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only time. Actually, that is a factor. It's the only time I would say you see it from his point of view. But remember, in literature, it's good to put your theories forwards as long as you can back them up with evidence but then use that equivocal language. Perhaps Steinbeck's trying to say this. Maybe he's trying to say that. That is spot on. That's excellent, that. That's exactly how, how you should write um, your ideas down in a literature exam. Um, I, I wouldn't agree personally that he does the bad things because of hallucinations, because, simply because I can think of a better reason, a better explanation, I think which is he likes to touch soft things. He has this childish desire. Remember I told you about me grabbing that woman in Marks and Spencer's? Who, oh, people who weren't listening at the start really wonder what's going on here. She had a nice fur coat on. I was a toddler, and I wandered up and grabbed hold of her because it looked soft. Um, I think that's the primary reason. Then he lacks boundaries and reacts on instinct. But I can't prove that that's not the case. So... You could be right, Damon. That could be exactly what Steinbeck was thinking of. Certainly, that's the only time we see the world, as you rightly said, from Lenny's point of view. That is, that is excellent, that. That is excellent. Um, right. Any more questions? I think it was anything. Else. Oh, can I just mention something quickly? <laughs> and if Miss Massey is still there, she'd be interested in this. Years ago... We had a very, very good teacher. She was a head of math. She was a head of year. And then she ran um, the, um, what used, you know, the sort of equivalent of Envis, which I'm telling you was very few people. Mrs. Evans, her name was. And when she was personally started off having classroom assistants in class, and initially it was just her. She would just come into certain lessons when she was free, sit in the back and support pupils. And she sat in the back, this is a long time ago, um, before the school was rebuilt, when I did the end of Of Mice and Men. And I read it all, and I went through all the sort of stuff we'd just been saying. And then she brought up a very fair point. Isn't it a sin to kill somebody? And I thought, oh, you know, I'm an English teacher. I look at it from an English point of view. I never even bothered to think about that. I have no doubt Steinbeck's not thinking that at all. And I wouldn't necessarily raise it in the exam because I think that they are looking for what I'm teaching in a way. That, well, they are. You know, the, the ideas of um, the notion that George has to do it, has to take responsibility, and it, it follows logically, doesn't it? But that is an interesting little side argument, the whole moral thing, which I'm so time I wasn't thinking of. You, you, you can't... Can you? But then Steinbeck has set us up for this. He's created this dangerous environment, the lynch mob in Weed, the lynch mob in Soledad. Um, so he's set up this idea that the law does not matter. People act on their own actions. There will be no comeback on George for doing this. It's a more sort of primal environment, a brutal, violent Um. Oh, a couple more messages there. Oh, Miss Tompkins, thank you very much. I massively appreciate that. Sean Mulryan, I remember you. Oh, oh, and Molly as well. Hi, Molly. Oh, it's fantastic to hear from you as well. 
Oh, oh, that's lovely of you. Thank you very much, Molly. You're always a you're always a star. I can tell you that from nothing. I hope you're keeping well in your family. Um, I I'm getting quite a lot. I don't know why, because I'm right on top of my server. Uh, my server. Sounds sound like Mr. Telegram there. I'm right on top of my router. So I'll finish. Like I said, I'll have a day or two's break, and then heroes. I'll get cracking on heroes. Okay. Um, been an absolute pleasure. I've loved doing it. Thank you. You're very kind in, in thanking me. That's very good of you. I'm only doing my job. I'm still getting paid after all, aren't I? I'll leave the usual. I'll leave the music playing at the end for five minutes or so. And if anybody wants to throw a question on, I can get back to you. But um, I've loved this. It's been really enjoyable. I really massively have. Uh, so I'll say ta-ta for now. Bye, everyone.